Amen. You know, most of us, even if we don't have a green thumb, know that uh, plants need roots to survive. I mean, there's no way that they can live without roots that will feed the plant, bring the nourishment up from the soil, and also anchor the plant in the ground. And what amazes me is that with so many plants, you can take just a shoot, just a small tender shoot, strip it of its leaves, and put it in the right medium, doesn't even have to be soil, and give it plenty of water, and the very first thing that that shoot will do is develop roots. Because the plant is designed so that it provides roots before it does leaves or flowers or new shoots or any of that, because the roots are absolutely necessary for life. The plant needs to be rooted. And the truth is, we need to be rooted too in some very different ways. We need relational roots, right? That's why our long-term friendships, our family, people in church, that's why those relationships are so important. They keep us rooted in who we are. There are places in our lives, places we grew up or maybe grandparents' home, that if we go in there, we immediately feel rooted. And we need spiritual rootedness as well. We need to be rooted in God. We need to be rooted in who He is so that we're anchored and we're fed. But here's the thing. Getting rooted in God is not something that necessarily comes naturally for us, right? I mean, some of you may be brand new to this. You've just started coming to church and trying to figure this out. And you think, man, I would love to feel rooted in my relationship with God, but I'm not really sure how you do that. It might even be that you've been coming for a long time and you still just haven't quite figured out how do I develop deep roots in my relationship with God? Well, over the next few weeks, I hope that we can give you some help with that. And to do that, to grow in our rootedness, we are going to turn to the worship language of the people of Israel as it is recorded in the book of Psalms. Just as Jerry mentioned and read a psalm, read the psalm that we're going to talk about today, this language talks about our relationship with God, who God is and who we are and how we relate to this God. And so we're going to look at several psalms over the next few weeks and use that as a jumping off point. We'll go to some other places as well to help us get rooted in God. Now, here's the thing. When we think about a project like this, a really big project, and this is a big project, right? This is one that we're not going to get done by next Sunday. Matter of fact, it's going to take the rest of our lives. One of the struggles is, okay, what's the, what's the first thing I need to do? Like when, when I have a big project, you know, it can get a little paralyzing because we think about all this work, all this stuff that, needs to do, that we need to do. Where do I start with this? And taking the first step is usually one of the hardest but once we've taken it, things begin to fall in line. The second step is easier. The third step is easier still. And so if we just take that first step, we can get in motion. You know, for a project I was working on recently, I had to, to lay out why I preach a, a series of sermons rather than just sort of like one or two standalone sermons like this week Matthew, next week Revelation, the following week will be in, Eli in Isaiah or something. But we work in series or on a topic or like a few weeks ago we were in Jonah and worked all the way through the book so we could really go deep into that. But here's another reason I do this is because when I begin on Monday morning, I took the first step months ago when I planned the series. So the first step is already taken. The hardest one's already done, and I can just follow in line from there on out. If we can get that first step in, we know what to do. Now, when we think about getting rooted in God, a big lifelong project, 
What's the first step? I mean, what am I supposed to do first? To answer that question, I want us to turn to Psalm 121. Now, if you got your Bible, Psalm's pretty easy to find right in the middle, a big book, 150 Psalms there. So you can usually find the book, and then we're going to turn to number 121. You can turn your phone if you use a Bible app, any of those, but get it in front of you. And what you'll find is at the top of this Psalm, it says, A Song of Ascents. Okay? We say, what does that mean, right? What are we talking about, okay? And we need to answer that because it's going to play into how we understand this psalm. The songs of ascents are all the psalms between 120 and 134, so 15 of them. And they were designed for a specific pur purpose, written for one purpose, and that was when the people of Israel gathered from all over Israel to Jerusalem for a feast, they would sing one of these songs as they went up the hill to Jerusalem. So it was to prepare their hearts for the worship that was about to come. So, as Jerry read in Psalm 122, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Why are they singing that? Because that's where they're headed. They're headed for the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. Okay? So it often plays into how we understand the psalm that we know this is a song of ascents. And we'll see a little bit of that in Psalm 121, where we are today. Now, Psalm 121, basically divided into four stanzas, two verses each, so eight verses divided up in pairs. And the, the opening sort of stanza really lays out the theme for the whole psalm, and then the rest of it backs up that main theme. So here we go. Psalm 121, first stanza, begins in verse 1. I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from Yahweh, the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So the psalm opens with the psalmist saying, I look to the mountains for my help. And it's, it's telling us the psalmist has got some trouble, right? Whatever the trouble is, we don't know what it is, but he needs some help. Why would he look to the mountains? Well, in the ancient world... The mountains were seen as sort of the dwelling places of the gods. They would go up to the mountaintops, look out, and there's a sense of the holy. I mean, we sort of get that ourselves. We look out and see all the surrounding area, and sometimes we feel in touch with the Creator when we see all that. But they sort of thought the gods inhabited those mountains. In fact, Israel sometimes got in trouble because they wanted to worship the gods in the high places, or they even wanted to worship their God, Yahweh, in the high places, on the mountaintops, because that's where God's dwelled, rather than in the temple in Jerusalem, as God commanded. So the psalmist says, I look to the mountains, that's where the, the gods are dwelling, but that's not where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord, from Yahweh, the God of of Israel, the personal name for God that the people of Israel used. And this is the God, not like all the gods of the people around them who each had their own mountain, their own city, their own place, but this is the God who made it all, the creator of all things, not just the mountaintops, but the valleys, all the planets, the stars, the sun, everything. This is the God, the one true God who made everything. This is where my help comes from. Now, we go from there, and the psalmist backs this up. This is the kind of help that God gives along the way. All right. Verse 3, which begins uh, the second stanza of this psalm. 
He will not let your foot slip. Now, we think about this. When are they singing this? They're going up to the hill of Jerusalem, right? They're traveling. So literally, they're saying, God's going to take care of me as I walk, but it's bigger than that, right? For them, life was considered a path, a journey. And so they're on this journey. God's not going to let my foot slip on this journey. He who watches over you will not slumber. Now, this is a big theme in this psalm. God watching over us. It's not about God sort of watching, hoping to find that you've done something wrong, catching you in a sin, but a loving God who is taking care of you and is always watching what's going on in your life. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. You know, it reminds me, this psalm, of a story that we find in 1 Kings chapter 18. The psalmist says, God's not going to fall asleep. In other words, he is always watching you. He's always on duty. There's never a time when God is not paying attention to what's going on in his, in his creation and to you. Back in 1 Kings 18, we have a story that illustrates that. The, the prophets of Baal have gathered with Elijah, a prophet of Yahweh. They've built two altars and they've had a little contest. Which God will light a fire on the sacrifice on the altar? Elijah says, you go first to the prophets of Baal. And so they begin to do all their incantations. They go around the altar. They're singing. They're dancing. All this stuff trying to get their God's attention. And nothing happens. And so Elijah begins to have a little fun with it. Verse 27. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he, Baal, is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. The language there is really, maybe he's in the bathroom, okay? Maybe he is sleeping and must be wakened. Maybe your God sleeps. The God of Israel does not sleep. He does not slumber. And of course, the end of the story is that God, the real God, brought down fire on the altar and even burned up the altar itself. But our God is always watching, always on duty, always caring for his people. Third stanza begins in verse 5. Yahweh watches over you. Yahweh is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the noon by night. You know, in the ancient world, in the ancient Near East, I mean, still a little bit this way, one of the, the real threats to life in that world was the sun. Of course, no life could exist without the sun, but the power of the sun was at work so that you were always looking for shade because of the possibility of heat stroke, because of dehydration. You didn't know when that was going to take hold. If you're traveling, you're always looking for where is the next shelter that I can find? Where can I find shade from the sun in case I have some trouble? And so they're always looking for this. And the psalmist is saying on the journey of life, God is always protecting you. Whatever the threat is there, whatever's going to beat down on you and take you out, God is there. God is watching. And even the moon, which was considered in the ancient world to disturb people's emotions and their physical wellness, God's going to take care of that as well. So whatever the enemies are, God is active and engaged. He's going to deal with it. Final stanza, verse 7. Yahweh will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. Yahweh will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. 
God is always going to be at work. There's not going to be a time when God says, okay, that's enough, or you've done this or you've done that. God is always going to be engaged in your life. So the psalmist makes this psalm so that the people can sing it as they go for worship and they acknowledge God's presence in their lives. But what does it say to us? As we're thinking through how we can be rooted in our relationship with God, how we can grow deep roots in knowing God, there's a message here that we need to hear. There's something that helps us begin that relationship, take that first step, and it's a truth that we'll hold on to all the way through. And it's simply this, God is worthy of your trust. God is worthy of your trust. And we know that the beginning of a relationship with Jesus Christ is faith. We're called to put our faith in Jesus. Now, part of what that means is we're saying, I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Okay, we're willing to make that confession about who Jesus is. But it's more than that, isn't it? It's saying because of all that, I trust him with everything that matters. And the psalmist, long before Jesus is telling us the same thing. God is worthy of your trust. This God who is at work in your life and always will be is worthy of your trust. Now, there's not a lot of things that are worthy of our trust in the world that we live in, okay? The world that anyone has ever lived in. It's always been that way. But God is worthy. And if we can take this truth, this is the beginning point of being rooted in our relationship with God. This is where it starts. It's the first step. And we can exercise this truth, I think, in some important ways if we begin to acknowledge how we can trust God. So three things that I think we can do to exercise this relationship of trust. First, trust that God is always present. Okay? That's what the psalmist says. God is always there. He doesn't go to sleep. All right? God is not going to forget you're around. God's not going to get so busy with everything else that he forgets that you are in trouble, that you need him, that you need him today, right now. God's not going to forget that. Okay? In fact, so, uh, Paul tells us this over in, in Romans chapter 8, and it's almost sort of poetic psalmic kind of language as well at the end of the chapter and I often read this at funerals because I think it's something we need to hear in difficult times Paul says this for I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons neither the present nor the future nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation Paul has listed everything there is right whatever there is at work in the world none of that will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can be sure that God is going to be there. He's not going to get too busy. He's not going to get too tired. He's not going to get distracted. He's not going to go to sleep. And you're not going to do anything to drive him away. God's love is going to be there. You can count on it. So trust that God is present in your life, whatever's going on, okay? You are not in it alone. That's one of the messages here. You don't have to face what's going on in your life by yourself. You are never alone. God's always there. Second, trust that God is active. You know, back at the, the beginning of our nation, many of our nation's founders were what we call deists. And in fact, nobody calls himself a deist now, 
but it's still practiced in practical terms because people still sort of live like this. They believe that God created the world, okay, he put it in motion, but sort of like a clockmaker who makes a clock, sets it on a shelf, winds it up, and lets it unwind, God is sort of watching. He's just out there, and he's letting things sort of work their way through. Maybe there's a natural disaster. Maybe there's something good that happens. Maybe people get violent. Maybe they don't, but God's not going to intervene. He's just going to watch it, hands off. That is never the picture of God that we get in the Bible. And in fact, the, the very existence of Jesus, the story of Jesus is the clearest way that that's not the kind of God that we worship. God, God chose to intervene in the, in the most powerful way possible. He became one of us. He was right in the middle of it. That's the God we serve. A present, active God. So not only is God present, He's at work in the world. And maybe one of the questions that we have as we think about that is, if God is present and God is active, why does bad stuff still happen, right? Why did people do terrible things to other people? Why do we deal with things like hurricanes that cause such destruction? Why is this going on? I mean, if we have this good God who's present and active, what's happening? And that leads us to the third way to exercise our trust. Trust that God will make all things right in the end. God never promises, I'm going to make your life easy. God never says, hey, you're not going to have any problems. But God does say, in the end, I'm going to put all things to rights. I'm going to bring it to the right place. I'm going to bring justice where there is injustice. I'm going to, I'm going to bring power to the weak. I'm going to take care of those. I'm going to make it right. And so we are a people who look forward. We look forward to the way that God is going to bring all things together. So the message for us today, as we launch into this series and think about, okay, how can I really develop deep roots that will anchor me in my relationship with God and that will feed my soul? The beginning place is God is worthy of your trust. And if you take that truth in, that's the starting point. That's the place to begin to be rooted. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful you're a present, active God. A God who pays attention when we rejoice. A God who pays attention when we're hurting. So God, we thank you for that. And we ask that you would be at work in our lives even now to bring justice and good and right, to help us to be agents of all those things. God, help us to trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.